Good morning, everyone. For those of you who are new here, I'm Chris Dirksen, and I'm one of the uh, associate pastors here, and I'm, and I'm the main teaching pastor. Although if you've uh, just started now since Christmas, I haven't been up for five weeks. And uh, that's actually something I, I wanted to just start this message off by just uh, saying a little something about some of the other pastors and teachers that we have here. Uh, I've just really enjoyed the last uh, five weeks. Uh, just we've gotten some amazing stuff. Last week, you know, uh, Chris Puhatch, uh, just a phenomenal message on the spiritual disciplines, just made you want to do them, didn't it? And uh, over Christmas, uh, you know, Pastor Ray, our senior pastor, uh, those messages on uh, forgiveness and reaching out to the Holy Spirit for, uh, to have that release of healing power just ministered to me so much. And of course, uh, uh, Stefan uh, there with his amazing message on the fruits of the Spirit. And I was thinking even of two weeks ago there over uh, New Year's, uh, Pastor Tim, uh, Tim Ryan speaking that message. You'll remember that message, Peace and Quietness. And, uh, and you'll remember, I mean, he had the, the PowerPoint even was peace and quiet. He had that coffee mug with the, with the steam coming out. And uh, I just, I came in, and he started speaking, and I could feel peace and quietness hitting my heart. At the end of the message, I said to Ladon, that was an amazing message. I just, I, I could feel peace. I mean, that's just, it's just who Tim is, right? And, uh, and you'll never get a message like that from me, okay? You'll never hear a message from me called peace and quietness, Okay? <laughs> My messages are, are yelling and hell and judgment and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, and, but that's one of the things I really love about this church. And I was thinking about it over Christmas and the New Year. And it's something I wanted to bring to your attention too. It's something we can all appreciate is that we're not a one-man show here at Southland. And I love what God's doing. And because how can one person give you everything you need? You need that balance, those different personalities, different perspectives. And of course, all of us in unity, you know, following uh, uh, Pastor Ray, um, but you get those different perspectives and stuff. And so even though I'm the main teaching pastor, I do exactly half the weeks. And then, and then with the other guys, you get exposure to those different gifts, which I think is so phenomenal. So when Donovan goes, you get expo- exposure to that evangelistic gift. And, and we always joke about him crying and all sort of stuff. It's great. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and you know, Stefan and, and, and Tim, when they preach, you get that heart shepherding stuff, which is so awesome. And Pastor Ray, of course, you get that apostolic leadership stuff. And it, it's just so amazing. And I'm just so thankful for what God's doing here. Aren't you thankful too? It's great. So yeah, that's, that's appropriate. I like that. I want to, uh, I'm going to start a, a new series here, uh, just a short little series here in January called uh, True Spirituality. And I want to talk about what does it mean to be a spiritual person? Uh, what is it that God wants from us? What is it that makes him happy? What is it that God's looking for in us? And you know, as I was uh, getting ready for this message this last week, I actually happened to be, to be reading about one, uh, uh, one of the men who is considered to be one of the great uh, spiritual giants of the 19th century, the 20, uh, or 20th century, 1900s. Um, and uh, this is a man who, uh, again, spiritual giant. I mean, he's, he's written many books. He's probably written more books than I ever read. Um, uh, spoken many messages. And, and whenever he would speak or write, he would speak and write on, on the deep things of God, on the character of God. And he would constantly push people to know God. And, uh, and so just a powerful, he was known to spend hours and hours every day in prayer, just with the Lord. And, uh, and, and meditating on Scripture and studying. And, and so, uh, I mean, a spiritual giant, okay, known to be a spiritual giant. And in fact, he was so spiritual that I mean, he made tons and tons and tons of money from all the, all the books that he sold. And, um, but he didn't use any of it on himself, literally. He gave it all away. I mean, he made tons of money 
sold many, many books and many sermons. And uh, by the way, just, <laughs> could someone close that door? I'm getting, a, like, that is bright. I'm getting a reflection. Ushers, there's a reflection out there. I don't know, someone could just cover that. I'm going to be blinded. Um, by the end of this message. But anyway, so this man, he made tons of money, but he, he refused to spend any of it uh, on himself. In fact, uh, he never even bought himself or his family uh, a car. And when I read this part, I kind of went, so here I am reading, I'm, I'm like, okay, good, I'm preaching a message on you know, true spirituality, and here I'm reading about this spiritual giant. And I got to this part um, where it talks about how he, he, he wouldn't even spend money to get his, his family a car. And in, and in wintertime, they lived in a, in a, in a northern uh, city in the, in the U.S., and uh, his wife and his kids would have to walk to church through, you know, snow drifts and blowing cold in, in the winter. In fact, sometimes members of his church would, would out of pity, give them, a, give them a ride to church. And, you know, I read that, and I kind of thought, really? I mean, is that spirituality? I mean, I thought, I mean, here I'm all pumped. True spirituality, I'm reading about a spiritual job. I thought, really, is, is that, you know? And, and this guy was so spiritual, not only did he give all his money away, but uh, he, he just devoted his entire life to ministry for Jesus, his entire life. Um, and, and so hours a day in prayer, he was known to work the schedule of two men. And he would just write and study and teach and preach and pray. And he just devoted his life to study. So I'm reading about this. Wow, what a spiritual man. He devoted so much of his life to ministry that his son said of him later in life, he said, you know, we were never a tight-knit family. We were never more than just a group of individuals. I thought, really? I mean, here I was going in looking for true spirituality. Is that true spirituality? Is that true spirituality? You're so spiritual, you won't even buy your family a car, even though you have the money to do it. You make them walk to church in winter. You're so spiritual that you devote your entire life to ministry because you want to advance Jesus' kingdom because you love him so much that you have no time for your family and they feel like you're just a collection of individuals. And, uh, and then I read some quotes that just, I mean, they were, they're heartbreaking and they, they hit me and I was so glad I read these because they just spoke very deeply to me a warning of what a false spirituality can look like. And two quotes I want to read you from his wife after he passed away. And I'm not going to name the man. The fact of the matter is, the books and the stuff that he wrote, I, I think if I name him, some of you are going to go, you're just going to throw at everything he ever did. The fact of the matter is, none of us is perfect. And so my point isn't that everything this guy ever wrote now is false or anything like that. So I'm not going to name him. It's not, it's not important. But, and I still think that his writings and many of his messages were powerful and spirit-filled and, and can help people. But like all of us, he had some serious shortcomings. And this is what his wife said of him after, after uh, his death. And we're talking here about someone, again, considered to be a spiritual giant. And this is what she said, My husband was so close to God, a man of such deep prayer, always on his knees, that he could not communicate with me or our family. No one knew what a lonely life I had, especially after the kids left home. Is that what God wants from us? Is that true spirituality? Spend so much time talking to God that you can't even talk to your wife and kids? And then she said this. She ended up remarrying. She said this. I've never been happier in my life. My old husband loved Jesus Christ, but my new husband loves me. Wow. What a warning is in those words. My old husband loved Jesus Christ, but my new husband loves me. What a heartbreaking statement. 
Is that what God wants from us? Is that what he's looking for? Is that our picture of spirituality? That we love him so much that we neglect the people who are closest to us? Jesus actually taught the exact opposite. And I could show you dozens of passages, but John 13, verse 35 says this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. How are they going to know that we are Jesus' disciples? Is it by how much we fast and how much we pray and how much we read our Bibles? Is that what Jesus said? No. He said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. If we don't love the people who are right around us, it doesn't matter how spiritual you feel. It doesn't matter how spiritual you think you are. It doesn't matter how much spiritual stuff you're doing. If you think you love God because you're doing a whole bunch of spiritual things for him, but you don't love the people right around you, the people in your house, the people in your workplace, if you don't love them, you are deceived. Because if you cannot love the people who are right in front of you, right with you, flesh and blood, then you do not love God. Because loving God and loving people goes hand in hand. That's what it is. If you don't love the people, you don't love God. And so you could be here today... And this is, not a, this is not a rebuke. This is just a warning. This is a warning to myself. I think we all go through these cycles. But you could be here today and you could, you could feel very good about yourself because, hey, you're in a group and you go to group every week. And, um, and you do your Bible studies and you sit in prestigious places of ministry for important you know, ministries, maybe in the church or outside of the church. And you maybe give a lot and all this sort of stuff. But meanwhile... The people in your family feel neglected or when you're at work, everybody at work knows that you're just a taskmaster and you treat people as objects and tasks to be finished. Then you cannot love God. Yeah, but I do all the Bible studies and I do all the church stuff. If you do not love people, you do not love God. If you cannot love the people whom you see, you do not love God whom you cannot see. Or you could be a young person here today. I know we have lots of young people here sitting in our services And sometimes what I see is I see young people get super excited about God. And so they get involved in 100 church activities. And I'm not against that. I love that. You have time. You have energy. You don't have kids yet. You're not married. Get involved in 100 church activities. That's awesome. But what I sometimes see is I see kids get involved in 100 church activities. And everybody goes, wow, your kid's on fire. I wish my kids would grow up to be that. And the kid themselves thinks, look how amazing I am because I'm here at church all the time. And meanwhile, when they go home... When they go home, they disrespect their parents. Their mom has to nag them if, if she needs the floor swept or the, or the floor vacuumed or, or the, the, the driveway shoveled. If you cannot love and respect your parents who are right there in front of you, it doesn't matter what you feel about God. You don't love him because if you don't love the people you can see, you don't love God whom you can't see. That's what the Bible says. And if you actually got close to Jesus, I'll tell you what he would do. The first thing he would do is he would give you his servant's heart because he's a servant. And you would be the most joyful servant in your home. Your parents, you would be the life of your home. Your parents would love you. 
Mom, put that, put that broom down right now. You are not allowed to sweep so long as I'm, as I'm living here. <laughs> Dad, you put that shovel down. You are not allowed. I wish my kids were here to hear this. <laughs> I'm going to preach it to them as they get older. Don't you worry. I've got it written down. That's what loving Jesus is. And, and the reason I, I need to preach this message series is all of us as human beings, Every single one of us, we have this natural tendency to drift. All of us. And we do it throughout our lives. And so we have to preach messages like this every once in a while just to bring us back to the anchor again, the center. But we all have this natural tendency to drift. To drift from what is really important to God and what true spirituality is. We drift from what matters to God. We drift to what looks spiritual to human beings. We drift to what looks spiritual to human beings. We drift from what is truly spiritual. We drift to the trappings of spirituality. And then we wonder why we're so dry. We wonder why, you know, me and, and all the pastors here and Chris and, and, and Pastor Ray and Stefan and Tim, we're constantly pounding on you guys. you got to read your Bibles and you got to pray. But we wonder then why we go and we read our Bibles and we pray and it's dry. We wonder why when we fast, all we can do the whole time we're fasting is think about the end of our fast. You ever been there? Okay, hour one down. 54 hours and 36 minutes until I get to eat again. What a wonderful, what a life-giving fast, eh? And we just wonder why we're dry. We wonder why we can't get rid of sin. We wonder why we have no joy. And we have this burden of condemnation. We have this burden of condemnation because if, you're, if your picture of what true spirituality is wrong... If your picture of true, what true spirituality is, is wrong, you're going to either shoot for the wrong thing, or you're just going to give up and just feel guilty your whole life because you're not meeting up to it. And in this series, I want to snap, I want to break that yoke of condemnation that sits on so many of us, where we are thinking we're not matching up to a standard, and that's not the standard God's holding us to. We certainly should feel guilty sometimes, but we should feel guilty for not loving enough, not for not fasting enough. We need to feel guilty about the right things. And we need to know what it is that Jesus really delights in. And when you begin to understand what he really delights in, he really becomes easy to love. And what happens is, as we have this wrong picture of spirituality, and the spirituality, you know, and again, some of you would say, well, I don't, I don't know, I, I knew that. I mean, I haven't told you anything new yet here today. I knew, I knew true spirituality was all about, you know, loving people and loving God. And, uh, uh, but the fact of the matter is, I know that, that that's not true for many of us. Because for many of us, if I could get you by yourself and I could ask you some questions, I could say, if you were wholehearted for God, I, I want you just to just imagine now, if you could wake up tomorrow morning and the Holy Spirit would just fill you right up to overflowing and you would be 100% sold out for God. Because, I mean, I don't think, you know, none of us is, you know, in this lifetime ever 100%, 100% sold out, I don't think. But if you could be 100% sold out for God, what would, what would your life look like? You know what many of us would say? We, what we think? We think, well, if I was completely sold out for God, I know I would pray more. I know I would fast more. I'd probably pray two, three hours a day. I'd probably fast a lot more throughout the year. And, the fact, and, and the fact that the first thing we think of when we think of being sold out for God, we think of disciplines as opposed to love, that shows that our picture of spirituality is off. And when you have this false picture of spirituality, you get this burden of condemnation on your shoulders, and what happens is immediately as you begin to compare yourself to others and judge others, immediately. 
And so we're comparing and, and, and judging all the time. You know, we hear about someone else doing a two-week fast, and we go, ah, oh, you know, I can barely do one. And so we just subconsciously think, well, they're much more spiritual than I am. Or on the other side, we see someone at the video store, right? It's like, ha, I see them. They watch, they watch like one movie every week. Sinners. I never touch the stuff myself. And we compare. And we think, but do you think on Judgment Day that's what God's going to do? You think God's going to go, oh, congratulations, Billy. You fasted 637 days and Susie over there only did 53. You get a big mansion. Congratulations, little Johnny. You only watched 49 movies in your life. That person over there watched 450. You get a bigger mansion. Is that what God's keeping a tally of? How much stuff you didn't do? And how much spiritual discipline you had? Is that the stuff that really matters to him? No, and that's what the scriptures say. And that's what this series is about. What does God really care about? Because again, obviously, the spiritual disciplines are not bad. We preach about them all the time. My whole series on Jesus, I was talking about how you've got to get in the Word. You've got to find Jesus in the Word. You've got to spend time in prayer. And I'm going to show you that in this series. It's not that the spiritual disciplines are bad. It's that the spiritual disciplines are not ends in and of themselves. They only serve a different purpose. And you have to see what God's heart is. This is what true spirituality is. These are simple tools to be picked up from time to time to help you get to here because this is what matters to God. And so let's pray. And I'm going to read Isaiah 58. And we're going to get into this message of what I think is just going to snap some of the bondages in your life. And you're going to begin to see what God really delights in and what he wants from you. And it's exciting because God really loves you. And true spirituality is not a uh, a hideous thing of discipline and no joy and all of these things. True spirituality is a place of life and joy in the Holy Spirit. So bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I want to I look at your word today, Isaiah 58, and we want to look at what true spirituality is. And Father, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will open up people's hearts today to see what it is that you're actually looking for, that we can begin to measure ourselves up again against what you want us to measure ourselves up against, and that we can stop comparing ourselves to others and judging people based on the wrong things, Jesus. And may we become a church that loves deeply from godly, free, loving, and joyful hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Isaiah 58, I'm just going to basically read you the, almost the entire chapter. Starting in verse 1, cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. I just have to stop there for just a second. They seek me daily and delight to know my ways. This chapter is not written to pagans. It's not written to secular, God-hating atheists. It's not written to people who don't know about God. It's not written to people who don't care about God. This entire passage is written to people who seek God daily and delight to know his ways. And you would think, oh, God must be happy. And yet we see right at the beginning already, he's upset. He's upset with people who are seeking him daily. That's, we're talking about the ancient equivalent here of daily devotions. They're seeking him daily. And they delight to know his ways. 
In other words, they were, they're studying his ways. They're studying his, his laws and his law. These are, these are the ancient equivalent of, of what today would be Bible study people. They love to know right doctrine. And they go to Bible studies and they delight to know what God's word says. They seek him daily. They have their daily devotions. And they delight to know his ways. They are the Bible study people. Of course, these are very spiritual people. And yet, we see right off the bat that God is not happy. Let's keep reading. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. These are worshipers. They've got Christian music going on the radio and in their cars all the time. In fact, they'll look at you a little weird if they get in your car, and it's not on 95. It's on a, you know, a secular radio station. How dare you? They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge? What, they're fasting even. I mean, only hardcore spiritual giants fast. They're fasting. They're worshiping. They're reading their Bibles. They're seeking him daily. What more do you want, God? Well, it turns out those aren't actually the things God's looking for. Those things are only tools that we use to get us to the place of what God is looking for. Well, let's keep reading. And you take no knowledge of it. Behold. So now we begin to see what it is. Why it is that God is not happy with them. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel. Some of you quarreled on the way to church here this morning. Well, good thing God is gracious. You fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the vast fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Now we're getting to the heart of what God cares about and doesn't care about. Bible reading, worship, all these things. It's your behavior I'm looking at. Let's keep going here. Is not this the fast I choose? This is true spirituality. Is this not the fast I choose? Here it comes. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? That's true spirituality. The Bible reading, the fasting, the prayer, all of those things don't matter anything to God unless they lead to something else in your life, and that's these things. How do you treat other people? And if you attain to a truly spiritual life, not the truly spiritual life that looks spiritual on the outside, everybody goes, wow, what a spiritual giant. He prays so much he can't even talk to his own family. That's a spiritual giant right there. No. If you attain to what true spirituality is, I want you to see what happens in the rest of this chapter. You're going to see how much God delights in true spirituality. I want you to see some of the promises that God says. If you live like this, then. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. How many of you would like some healing power released in your life? Okay, four or five of you. And the rest of you, eh, healing power. 
Some other good ones here. Okay, fine. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. In other words, God's got your back. How many of you would like God to have your back? Yeah. At every time someone takes advantage of you in a business deal, you don't have to fight for your own rights because the glory of the Lord is your rear guard. The glory of the Lord has got your back. And God sticks up for you when people slander you and take advantage of you in business. And he sticks up for you. That is not a promise for every Christian. Oh, I call myself a Christian, so this is happening. No, this is a promise for truly spiritual people who feed the hungry and break the yoke of wickedness and the oppressed. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. I love that one. So many of us, this dryness, we have this dryness in our spiritual lives, and I can't tell you how many times people tell me, I pray and I don't hear an answer. I ask God to speak to me and I need guidance and he doesn't answer. Well, here we have a promise. If you do these other things, this is true spirituality. If you live this life loving, helping other people and taking care of people, then when you call, the Lord will answer. You shall cry. And I love this. my favorite part of the passage. And he will say, here I am. Lord, I need help. Here I am. Lord, I'm in big trouble. Here I am. And he answers you. That's God's heart towards you. He loves you. The problem is that many of us think we're trying to do the wrong things to get them happy. These things over here, the prayer and the disciplines and, and about reading, so important, but they're only important not for impressing God. They're only important for getting you to a place of doing the things that really make him happy. And when you do these things, he says, here I am. Here to guide you. Here to speak to you. If you take away the yoke from your midst and the pointing of the finger... I wonder how many of us this past week pointed the finger. And the speaking of wickedness, we talk down about people in our families and our friends and all sorts of things. You do those things in your life, you think that's no big deal. Because you spend an hour every day in prayer. But then you go out and you gossip about people. And you tear people down. And you talk about your old friend who did this and your old neighbor who did that. And the pointing of the wickedness. It's when you get rid of the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, God says, here I am. 30 seconds into your prayer time. Oh, he's here already. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire. This is what a wonderful promise. He will take away your spiritual dryness. He'll take away your hard heart. And he'll satisfy your desires in a scorched place. Rivers of living water, as you begin to live out righteousness and love for the people around you, rivers of living water begin to bubble up in your soul and you become soft and there's joy there and there's tenderness there and Jesus is close and he's guiding you. It's a wonderful life. In the scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure all of you are on the same page with me that I want those promises in my life. But the way to get those promises is, is not by more discipline because, again, it's, that's not what God's looking for. Yes, fasting. I love fasting. This month I'm doing a bunch and prayer. Every day I'm in the Word and in my devotions. I think those things are so important. But I don't do them because I think they're impressing God because I think he's got a tracker on Judgment Day. Hey, you spent so many hours in prayer. Way to go, big mansion. That's not what he's looking at. 
I only do those things, and those things only matter. Those things don't matter to God at all. The only reason we do them, and the only reason they're any good or worth anything, is if they lead to something else. And that something else is absolutely changed behavior. What God really wants in your life is to unleash a tide of love and righteousness from your life. He wants to unleash a tide of righteous, godly speaking and living and loving and caring for people. He wants to unleash that in your life. And when that kind of living and behavior is coming out of your life in your doing, God says, here I am. And he satisfies your desire in a scorched place. And it's a wonderful promise because the fact of the matter is when we aspire to be these spiritual giants who the only thing we know about them is not that they had any joy. You know, the man, the man I talked about before, he actually said at the end of his own life, again, spiritual giant, preached many messages, wrote many books, and those, some of those books are incredible. They really are good. But he said at the end of his life, too, he hadn't had any joy. He said, I lived a lonely life. And you go, wow, we aspire to the wrong things. We aspire to the, be these austere, disciplined, spiritual people rather than aspiring to be these loving people, which is what God actually wants. So God wants to unleash this tide of love and righteousness and sweep it through our lives. And so I want to read verses 6 to 7 again to you. This is true spirituality. Is not this the fast that I choose? This is why we fast. This is why we pray. This is why we do spiritual stuff. To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free. And to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Not to hide yourself from your own flesh means that not to neglect the people in your family. And not to hide from your own flesh. What God is keeping track of, he's not keeping track of the hours in prayer and the days of fasting. What he is keeping track of is your every single interaction with people. Every single interaction, every word. You talk about someone behind their back, God kept track of it. Did you say something that you'd be embarrassed to say if they were there? God kept track of it. You, you meet someone, you pass someone who's lonely and oppressed and depressed, and you'd say nothing, you do nothing, you let someone get bullied, and you say nothing. God keeps track of every interaction with people. He's not keeping track of the hours and the days of fasting and spiritual discipline. He's keeping track of your interactions with people. Let me show you this. Mark chapter 9, 41. We're going to jump to Mark here for just a second. We'll go back to Isaiah. Jesus said this, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Notice again, Jesus does not say, hey, you know, if you do a three-week fast instead of a two-week fast, if you do something real crazy that everybody else will think is super spiritual, you will surely not lose your reward. That isn't what he talks about. He says, if you give someone even a cup of water because they belong to me, you won't lose your reward. Something as small as a cup of water. He says, if you just give a cup of water, it's just a daily interaction. It's just meeting a need. He keeps track of that interaction. It goes into a book somewhere, and you get a reward for it. He is meticulously keeping track of how you treat people. That's what matters to him. The amazing thing to me, you know, we, we can learn so much about Jesus in, in this passage. This passage, I know, you know, many of you, you've heard this verse. It's kind of a famous verse in the New Testament, you know, probably a hundred times before. But I want you to look at this verse with new eyes here today because this verse tells us something about love 
and it tells us something about what God's character is like. And I, I did this thought experiment this past week. I thought, if I was Jesus, and again, obviously that's not possible. I don't want to disrespect him, right? So we've done the whole series on him, and he's God and all sort of stuff. But just if I was Jesus and I had preached this message, what would I have used as an example in a cup of water instead of a cup of water? The fact of the matter is, I don't think any of us here would have used the example of a cup of water. I mean, I was saying, what would I say if I was trying to preach this great message about love and, and the point Jesus is trying to get across here? I would have used something a lot bigger, wouldn't you have? I would have said something more like, I mean, if you see a family in need and you give your vehicle away to them so they can have a vehicle, you will surely not lose your reward in heaven. Or I would have said, you know, if you empty out your savings and give $50,000 to, to an orphanage overseas, so, and you now have no savings, and now they can have this new building or whatever, if you make a big sacrifice like that, you will surely not lose your reward in heaven. I would have used big things, and I can pretty much guarantee you that most of you here today would have also used big things. And the fact that he, Jesus says cup of water tells us something really profound about Jesus. And it tells us something profound about his character and what love looks like. See, I believe as I meditated on this passage more and more, first of all, I'm falling more and more in love with Jesus. But I believe that when Jesus said a cup of, a cup of water, I believe that he was going for the jugular. I believe that what he's teaching here is actually a lot harder than what we would have put in because I think subconsciously the reason we would put bigger sacrifices in there instead of smaller ones is because ultimately bigger ones are easier. You say, how does that work? I'll tell you how it works. If you empty out your savings, how many times can you do that in a year? Once? Then they're emptied. If you give your vehicle away, how many times can you do that in a year? Like once? Once every couple of years? See, here's the thing about big things. We think of love in terms of really big things. Those are the things that impress God. Lots of fasting, lots of prayer, and big things. The thing about big things is you can only do them once every once in a while. And then after that, you're good to go. Go back to work. Go back to your wife. Keep doing it. What? Don't talk to me about, you know, love my wife and my kids. What's that all about? I just gave away a car. I mean, I just did something that really matters to God. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Love is not something you do work your way up to all year long, and then the Christmas offering comes, and bam! Woo! I did my love thing. Next year, I'll come back to it. Again, I'm, I'm pumped about the Christmas offering. I love the generosity of this church, and, and part of following Jesus is giving those big Christmas offerings and sending all those hundreds of thousands of dollars over to Africa like we do every year, and for those orphans, we're keeping, taking care of couple thousand orphans over there right now as a church and all the stuff we're doing. I love that stuff, but we want to limit it to that stuff. And Jesus says it's actually about the little acts, the everyday acts, and you're not off the hook because once a year you did something big. Now, of course, what does that look like? Some of you are sitting there and you're going, well, okay, what does Jesus want us to do? Does he want us to run around with cups of water now everywhere and give people cups of water? Well, I mean, obviously not. Most of you here, no doubt, I would probably think the vast majority of you, probably all of you, have access to all the, the drinking water you could ever use. Okay? And so the, the, Jesus' point isn't to actually give a cup of water to people all the time. His point is to meet a need. His point is it's those little everyday interactions. See, it's a little cup of water. It's not something you just work yourself up to once a year. It's you meet someone and they're thirsty, you give them a cup of water. 
So you meet a need. Well, people have all kinds of needs all around us. People might not need a drink of water here in Steinbach or the surrounding area, but they have all kinds of other needs. You come in contact at work and, and, and at church here today and out in your neighborhood. You come in contact with people with deep needs. They need an a word of encouragement. They need someone to listen to them. They need some advice. They need some help fixing something. They need all kinds of things. Jesus says, the kind of disciples I'm looking for are not the ones who build up once a year to do this big thing and then they just go back to being selfish. The kind of disciples I'm looking for that really impress me are the ones who every day are looking to give out these cups of water and they're meeting a need. And they're meeting a need. That's true spirituality. That's what it looks like. That's, that's really, you know, rubber meets the road. Let's make this practical. Some of you husbands here today, your wife, your wife has a need for conversation. Already the groans. Oh. God made her that way. She wants to talk to you about her feelings. Even worse, she wants you to talk to her about your feelings. <laughs> She's got a need. God gave her this need. That's a, and it's not all women, but a lot of women have that need. And some of you husbands here today, you have a wife who is starved for love. She doesn't need a drink of water. You read these passages and you just think, okay, you know, who can I give money to overseas? If you cannot love the wife who lives with you who you can see, you do not love God who you can't see. And your wife is absolutely thirsty and dry and cracking up on the inside because you don't talk to her and you don't listen to her and you don't have conversation with her. And you think, well, yeah, but we do stuff together every now and then. I bring home the bacon, right? I do all this stuff. I help out around the house. That's not what she's thirsty for. And if you actually got close to Jesus, the first thing he would want to talk to you about is not, you know, sometimes we go to prayer and we think, okay, God wants to talk to me about how much I should fast. You know what? That's like the hundredth thing down the list what God wants to talk to you about. The first things he wants to talk to you about are how can you love people? And the first thing if you got close to Jesus, he would say to you is, you need to take and put aside two or three or four times a week, an hour at the end of your day or wherever it works or a peace in the evening and you need to just sit down with your wife and you need to talk to her about your feelings and some of you are going I told you before Jesus went for the jugular some of you are going I'll give away the car Jesus please anything but that <laughs> it's way easier to do one big thing a year isn't it way easier to do one big thing a year than it is to actually go around and every person you meet you begin to give out a cup of water a cup of water to the needs and the thirst that God has put in people and just before you wives, amen too loudly. God has given your husband some needs as well, hasn't he? I don't need to mention probably what the biggest one is. <laughs> but give the poor guy a cup of water. <laughs> just keep moving here. <laughs> Meet the need. That's what true spirituality looks like. Amen. Let's break the yoke. <laughs> All right, okay. Moving along. <laughs> I'll give you an example from my, not of that, but from my, of a, 
We're moving on now. We're moving on. Keep, keep the eyes focused. I, I want to give you an example from my, my own life of this how every day a cup of water, a cup of water, this is really profound. What is the fast thing I choose? This is the fast I have chosen. And he goes through practical things. These are the things you do for people. We look at Mark 9, 41. Give a cup of water. Meet a need. Meet a thirst. What is that thirst of that person you're with at work or your boss or your employee or your wife or your kids? What is that thirst? You meet it. And this is so practical and small. And we keep thinking of spirituality as this big abstract thing. And many of us go through our entire lives with this kind of feeling of guilt hanging on our shoulders that we're not spiritual. And we want to be more spiritual and we want to be more loving, but we don't know what that looks like. It's this big abstract thing. We don't know what that means. What I'm showing you here is true spirituality is just made up of little acts of love, real acts in everyday life. And sometimes what we're looking for is a magic thunderbolt. Oh, Jesus, make me a more loving person. And what we want is God to hammer us with a thunderbolt and magically, my insides radically change. I'm a totally different person. Suddenly, I have strong feelings of love for everyone. I cry all the time. And that's what we kind of want God to do for us. That's not how it works. The pathway to true spirituality, the pathway to becoming a loving person, is paved with thousands of bricks. Bricks of individual little acts of obedience and love. Give a cup of water, give a cup of water, give a cup of water. And over time, thousands of these bricks are laid in your life. Another little practical act of love and another practical little act of love. And it's not this big abstract thing or this magical experience of emotion. It's none of those things. It's just step of obedience, step of obedience, step of obedience. And there's this pathway paved with thousands of bricks of individual little acts of practical acts of love to your wife, to your kids, to the people at work. And all the time, you're a person who's looking to meet a need and meet a thirst and meet a hunger and see the lonely and see the oppressed. And over time, you have this pathway. And suddenly, a year later, two years later, you look back and you think, I'm different. I feel different. I can feel God in my life. I can feel him walking with me. I feel love for people that I didn't used to feel. That's what true spirituality looks like. It's very everyday. It's very practical. It's very life-ish. It's very relational. And it's extremely doable by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I just want to share an example with you from my life of how small. It's not, it, I mean, yes, every once in a while, you're going to be walking with God. He'll ask you to do big things. But those are the exceptions. Most of the time, it's just walking with him. It's a relationship. It's the little things. So let me just share with you something. Just, I just wanted to share something. It's so practical from the last couple of weeks. And I could, I could share several different things. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, I'm spending time in prayer because, again, it's not that, I'm not saying prayer and fasting these things are bad. Not at all. But my point is, what, why are you doing these things? So I'm spending time in prayer, and, uh, and, and, and I'm asking God near the end of my prayer time, Lord Jesus, uh, who do you want me to, to love today? What, give me a love assignment today. And just to give you a little bit of setting, so kind of just see how my life works, you can imagine this a little bit. The way my day works is I get up, you know, pretty early in the morning, and I'm a morning person. This isn't a, you know, you're more spiritual if you're early or you're more spiritual if you're not. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible. You've got to be spiritual, or, you know, early to be spiritual. No. But for me, I'm just an early morning person, okay? So I like to get up 4.30, quarter to 5. My first time is with Jesus. Then I usually spend some time studying and writing, message prep, that sort of thing. I like to do that at home before I come here and all the emails hit me and stuff. After that, I like to go for a jog, and then I finally get here into the office, you know, 8.30 to 9, and that's when the busyness of the day hits me. 
And that's when things just kind of woof. And, and it's so easy to feel spirit, filled with the Spirit when you're by yourself. And it's less easy to feel, feel filled with the Holy Spirit when it's busy and it's go, go, go. And so that's one of the things that the Lord's been working on me in my devotions. How do, how do you bring that, that, you know, spirituality into the rest of your day and love people? So I was praying at the end of my devotions. I said, Lord Jesus, give me a love assignment today. Okay, get practical things. I, you know, spirituality is this abstract thing. I don't want to go through the day with a feeling of spirituality. I want to be spiritual. I want to actually please you today. So give me a couple of love assignments today before I go to work. It's going to be very busy there. I've got to get that stuff now, and I'll go and do it. It's very easy. And right away, just two names came to my mind. Right away, just two names came to my mind. You know, I had a person ask me recently, how do you know God's speaking to you in listening prayer? And I just go, you know what? Why do you ask yourself that all the time? I ask God I want to love someone, and a name comes to my mind. I just go, well, I'm going to love that person. And guess what? If I got it wrong, God's still happy. <laughs> so stop stressing out about it. Anyway, um, two names come to my mind. Well, I just assume it's from God. Write down the two names, and then I feel like I get instruction for them. Just these thoughts just come to mind. Real quick, and this is not some hyper-spiritual. I'm not sitting there going, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit's coming on me. Tears coming on my spirit. No, I'm just writing it down. I got like five minutes. I got to go, God. Okay? To be able, that's not a good way to approach God all the time, but it's the end of my devotions. And uh, I feel like on the first person, I feel like you need to go and talk to this person for five minutes, ten minutes, beginning of the day. And you need to not talk about work at all. You need to not talk about deadlines because I'm always pushing these projects and stuff. We've got to get this done. We've got to get this done. We've got to get this done. I feel like the Holy Spirit said, you're going to just go to him and you're going to talk about the weekend. That's it. You're going to leave. You're not going to talk about work. You're not allowed to talk about deadlines or push anything. Nothing like that. I said, yes, sir. Second one I felt was you're going to shoot this person an email and you're going to tell them come over to your office today at some point if they have time and do some listening prayer and see how you can better utilize their talents and their abilities and some of the stuff they're learning, how you can better utilize it in the church. Okay, I can do those two things, right? Spirituality isn't this big abstract thing. I can do that. I'm going to walk with Jesus. He gives me instructions. I'm going to do it. I'm going to love people. So I go to work. First thing off the bat, walk over to this one person's office, and we have a chat about the weekend, and we just talk five, ten minutes. I don't bring up work. I don't bring up deadlines. I don't bring up some of the big projects we're working on. Just talk about life. And you know, as we're talking, and we're just talking about life, and I'm just listening and sort of stuff, and it just takes you know, five minutes. So it's so short. But as I'm doing it, the Holy Spirit is ministering to my spirit. He's convicting me. He's saying, how often do you treat people just as if they're robots? And I'm just feeling conviction. He said, this is not a robot you're talking to. This is a person that I made. He's an important part of your team. And I, as I'm talking to him, I've just stepped out on obedience. I can feel feelings welling up in me of appreciation for this person, how thankful I am that they're here on the team. And I, and I leave that little meeting and rather than us having a relationship of, hey, we're just acquaintances, pounding it out, getting a paycheck, trying to finish all the work, we leave, I've treated this person as a person, I've spread a little love, you leave this meeting feeling like we're part of a team, we're part of a greater purpose. It's just, you're just different. Go to my office, I fire off an email to this other person, my second assignment, hey, if you got any time today, come to my office, let's just do some listening, how we can better utilize you and your gifts here in the church. So he finds some time, he comes over, he sits down, he starts talking to me, and he just starts talking. I just listen. He starts telling me stuff that's going on in his life. I had no idea. Oh, wow. I didn't know you were going through that. And then he starts telling me some, of the, some other things and his perspective on various things here and how we run things and organize. And as he's doing it, I'm getting, this turns into an hour meeting. I thought it was just a short little thing. This turns into a big meeting. And I'm getting insight into this person's life and appreciation for 
where they're coming from. I'm also getting insight into how some of the things we could do better here in a church and our staff and organization. I'm going, wow, this is an amazing meeting. And then towards the end of the meeting, it just got even better. Suddenly he shares something, a dream God's put on his heart of a way that we could really improve the way we do discipleship and, and training of, of kids and young people here at the church. And as he starts to share his dream, he pulls out a piece of paper, he starts sketching stuff. And I'm looking at this, I'm going, oh my goodness, this is a gold mine. And of course, we'll have to see in the coming months and, and years if we can implement all this stuff. But this thing has a, the gem, just from this little mean, this, this thing has the potential to be a real gem and really help strengthen some of the things we're doing with our young people here at this church. I was blown away. At the end of the meeting, he was super encouraged. Super encouraged and motivated in his job because, hey, someone listened to him. I was, I was better off because I got some ideas of how we could organize some things better and the whole church might be better off in the next few years because this dream that came out of that meeting could really help us do some things better. And I came out of that meeting, I'm flying you know, higher than a kite. I'm going, wow, Lord Jesus, I just asked you, I just want to love some people. Look, I did it and I feel like I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I could have spent five hours in the prayer room and I wouldn't have been as filled with the Holy Spirit as I was after just doing what he said. And I wonder what would happen if in our workplaces, if each one of us would go out of this building here today and we would unleash over the coming year hundreds, even thousands of little acts of cup of water, love and service to people in Jesus' name after listening to Jesus, what would happen in our workplaces? I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen to the culture in your workplace. I wonder what would happen to the productivity in your workplace. If you would just begin yourself, never mind if it begins to spread to others, but if you would begin to go and unleash and listen to Jesus and say, true spirituality means I'm going to love some people today, and you would go to work and you would listen, you would do what he said. I wonder what would happen in your workplace. I'm telling you, something would begin to change. Not to mention in your life, your heart would begin to change and your life would begin to change. I wonder what would happen in your marriage and in your family if you would begin to intentionally listen to Jesus and look for true spirituality and say, not just listen to Jesus about how much you should fast, but listen to Jesus about how much you should love someone today and you would begin to unleash in your marriage over the course of the next year dozens and hundreds of little acts of love and service in the name of Jesus. I'll tell you what would happen. Your marriage would begin to change. And if to your kids, some of you have a hard time, you have trouble with relationship with certain ones of your kids, personality, whatever, past, history. What if you would begin to listen to Jesus and begin to unleash little acts of cups of water, meeting a need, meeting a thirst, meeting a hunger? I'll tell you what would happen. Your relationship with your kids would change. This is what true spirituality looks like. It's not an austere, spiritual, giant-type mentality of hours and hours of prayer. It's going into prayer to connect with Jesus, because you're not going to be able to do it without spending some time in prayer. But you go into prayer not because you're racking up reward for prayer. You're going to prayer to connect with Jesus so you can go out and love. And it's an adventure then to walk with Jesus and love people. It's an adventure then to walk with Jesus and love people. And if we go back to Isaiah 58, you're going to see this. Is not this the fast that I choose? Is not this the fast that I choose? So it's not that God's against fasting. Obviously not. Fasting is an amazingly effective tool for hearing God's voice better, getting that love in your heart and going out. I, I'm loving my fasts this month. I'm loving them. This is the other thing. When you, get the, when you finally understand what God really wants and what he doesn't want, it gives life to your devotions now because now you know why you're doing them. Why are you fasting? Well, I'm not just fasting to be spiritual. I'm fasting because I want to love my wife better. Oh, now you're motivated. 
Why are you having your devotions this morning? I'm having my devotions this morning because i got to connect with Jesus who really loves me. And after that, he's going to give me an assignment for today. And I'm going to walk with him all day and obey him and love other people. That's why you do these things. And when you understand what the real purpose of them is, they have life. Is not this the fast I choose? So God does. You know, fasting is a good tool he's given us. He's not against fasting. Is not this the fast I choose? It's why you're doing it. Okay, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Now, of course, I know that when we as Christians here in this area, when we read that passage, usually our minds immediately, we read about clothing the homeless and feeding the hungry and helping the oppressed. And immediately our minds go over to Africa or Asia because we think that kind of stuff doesn't happen here. And, and yes, it's true, this passage sure, certainly does apply to us being generous and loving and dealing, as Christians, we should be on the front lines of the social justice fight around the world. And amen, we are doing it here at this church. We are doing it by the hundreds of thousands of dollars every year helping over there in Africa. I love that. And this passage certainly speaks to that. But we read this passage, Isaiah 58, and we think it just applies to the Christmas offering once a year, and 90% of the time, this passage is supposed to apply to your life. See, there are more ways of being hungry. There are more kinds of hunger than just the hunger for food. There are more kinds of thirst than just the need for water. There are more kinds of homelessness than just not having a physical roof over your head. There are more kinds of oppression than just the ones you see on the news. The fact of the matter is that many people in here today and the people in your family and your spouse and your coworkers and the customers, the people you will come in contact with, there are all kinds of people who are hungry for things and need things and thirsty for things and lonely and oppressed. And Jesus says, will you care enough? Will you listen to me? And will you go out and give these people a cup of water? That's what true spirituality looks like. Some time ago, I was in my devotions, and there's that amazing parable. Jesus tells the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. No doubt many of you have heard it or read it. And the rich man and Lazarus, and there's a rich man. He's very rich, and he has all the food he wants. And there's this poor man, Lazarus, who lies outside his door, and he has sores, and the dogs lick his sores, and Jesus just gets into this detail. It's gross. And, and the rich man doesn't help the poor man, Lazarus. And then they both die, and Jesus says, the rich man went to hell, and Lazarus went to heaven. Because the rich man never helped him. And I read this parable in my devotions a couple months ago, and I thought, my goodness, Jesus. Who, what, what am I supposed to do with this? I don't have, like most of you, we read some of these parables and we get frustrated. Because I said to him, Lord, I don't have a Lazarus outside of my door. I don't have naked poor people on my driveway. Minus 25 does away with them, okay? You know, summertime I have one or two, but no, no, no. Um, so I said to Jesus, what do I do with this parable? I don't want to be the rich man. Are you with me on that? You read these parables. I don't want to be the rich man, but where's my Lazarus? Who am I supposed to take care of? And Jesus said to me, why don't you, why don't you ask me? I said, okay, because I want to know. I said, who's my Lazarus? I hadn't even gotten the words out of my mouth. Who's my Lazarus? Wham. And, and, and the names of two people came to my mind. They weren't naked and poor on my doorstep. They weren't hungry for food, but they were desperate for time. And they were very lonely. And Jesus said, that's your Lazarus. That's your Lazarus. Those people are dying for a little bit of love and time from someone. That's your Lazarus. You go and you feed them. 
And Isaiah 58 isn't just about all the orphans in Africa. There are many, many hungry, needy people here in Canada too. And we touch them all the time. And that's what true spirituality looks like. That's what makes Jesus happy. And so I want to finish by giving you a challenge. I'm going to put it up there on the screen. And the first thing I would challenge you to do is take out a pen and actually write this down. Challenge you, just take out a pencil. You didn't bring a piece of paper. Oh, well. Rip a piece of paper out of the godly person uh, to you next to you. They brought their journal and you didn't. So just rip a page out of their thing. I don't you to take a card out of the front of your seat. I don't care. I'm not, I'm not taking them up. But you want true spirituality? Here's my challenge to you this week. Ask Jesus who your Lazarus is. Ask Jesus who your oppressed people are. Ask Jesus who your needy people are. Ask God who are the people you need to reach out to in your life. You want to be truly spiritual? This is step number one. Who are the hungry people in my life? I dare you to ask that to Jesus. Who are the lonely people in my life? I dare you to ask Jesus. Who are the oppressed people in my life? I dare you to ask him. Some of you might be here today and you're high, and you're high school students or, or junior high students. And there's someone in your class and they are picked on all the time and nobody likes them and they're a total nerd and maybe they smell. I don't know. There's all, that, that happens in schools, right? You know what Jesus is saying to you today? You're going to be that person's friend. That's what a Jesus follower would do. You're going to be that person's friend. That's what, that is your Lazarus. That's your oppressed. That's your hungry. That's your homeless. Then my second challenge to you is that every day, I would challenge you this week, every day, ask God to give you a cup of water assignment. Who can I give a cup of water to today, Jesus, and how? Some people have problems with listening prayer, and the reason is because they ask the wrong questions. You ask Jesus these questions, I guarantee you thoughts come to your mind. If you ask Jesus the wrong questions, he doesn't always answer right away. You ask Jesus right questions, he says, here I am. Oh, oh, you are wanting to love someone for me today? Here I am. Let me give you some names. Let me give you some ideas. And as you begin to do these things, not just think them and know them, but as you begin to do them, you are becoming a spiritual person. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, this is true spirituality. This is true spirituality. In this series, Lord Jesus, I'm praying just a couple things. Number one, take off the yoke of condemnation that many of us feel unspiritual for the wrong reasons. And number two, make us a church that really loves people. Make us a church where we delight in our spouses and we win our kids to Christ with our love. And we go into our workplaces and we do our little cup of water assignments and these workplaces become places of joy and delight and Holy Spirit love. Those are the kinds of people we want to be so that your blessing may rest on this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God was speaking to you during the service. You want to receive prayer in response or if there's just been something that's been going on in your life lately where you could really use some prayer, we have uh, prayer available for you, folks. Uh, teams that are trained know what they're doing as far as being able to pray for you in the prayer room right through the doors on that side. Let's stand together. And if you'd like to receive prayer, you can.